We are greatly blessed as a church to be led in that kind of worship and to be able to prepare our hearts in that kind of way. Thank you, brother, and for all of those that help him um, lead us in worship. We are greatly, greatly blessed as a church. This morning we're in Ephesians chapter 2. If you want to find your way there to Ephesians chapter 2, we will begin there in a few moments. Hopefully when you came in, you picked up a bulletin. On the back of that bulletin will be some notes. If you want to follow along, as the notes are behind me on the screen, but those will be there if you want to use those. But Ephesians chapter 2 is what we're going to pick up as we have been walking through, um, not last week, of course, Kevin George was here and he was a great blessing to my heart. Hope he's a blessing to your heart, but the last few weeks before that, we've been walking, uh, started walking through the letter of Ephesians and really looking at the question of how do we grow as a Christian? How do we grow as a church and just how do we grow together in Christ? But before we get to that, I've got some bad news and I've got some good news. I don't know about you, when someone says that, I always cringe. Because, you know, the the next thing that's going to come is, what do you want first? Do you want the bad news or the good news? I don't want any of it. I don't, I don't, and then it's always a question of, well, what do you define as good news or what do you define as bad news? Because here's some bad news. Tuesday's coming. And somebody's going to win the election at some point. And nobody, not everybody, is going to be happy. So the bad news is the division, the separation, all of the turmoil, it's not going to be over on Tuesday. But you want to know some good news? I'm still going to heaven. And for everybody that's saved and part of the kingdom of God, they are still going to heaven. So you'll have somebody that will come up and say, well, I've got some good news and bad news. Which do you want first? And I always sit there and think, well, how do you define what is good and what is bad? And I think I'm going to try something different this morning and hope this works. But we're going to show a clip to just kind of put the stage on what I'm trying to talk about. The good news versus the bad news. So let's let's try it. Howdy, Grandpa it. and Strang and Junior there. Oh, howdy, boys. Howdy, Heard you was coming in, so they yeah. come down and got a front seat. Yeah. <laughs> I guess you heard about my terrible misfortune. Oh. Yeah, my great uncle died. Oh, that's bad. No, that's good. How come? Well, when he died, he left me $50,000. Oh, that's good. No, that's bad. How come? Well, when the Internal Revenue got through with it, all I had left was $25,000. Oh, that's bad. No, that's good. How come? Well, I bought me an airplane and learned to fly. Oh, that's good. No, that's bad. How come? Well, I was flying upside down the other day and I fell out of the darn thing. Oh, that's bad. No, that's good. How come? Well, I looked down under me and there's a great big old haystack. That's good. No, that's bad. How come? Well, I got a little closer. I saw a pitchfork aimed right at me. Oh, that's bad. No, that's good. How come? I missed a pitchfork. Oh, that's good. No, that's bad. How come? I missed a haystack, too. That's bad. No, that's good. How come? Well, I bounced around a few minutes. An ambulance came and took me to the hospital. Now, that clip goes on and on for some time longer. But the idea, if you remember back to that scene from Hee Haw, it's the idea that just some, because somebody calls it good news doesn't mean it's good news. And what we call bad news is not always bad news. And as we're thinking about this season coming up, whether it's an election or whether it's with this COVID-19 crisis that continues to linger, there's a lot of things that we will think about, whether being good news or bad news. But what good news and bad news is, is not always universal. 
What I want to do this morning is I want you to peer with me into Ephesians chapter 2 because Paul is, as he's writing to this church, he comes in and he gives the church some news. And he's going to give them some bad news, but then he's also going to give them some good news. And the idea that I want to drive to this morning is that even in the midst of a time of division and turmoil, we always have good news to share. And so as we think about this season, whether it's this political season, whether we think about this economical season, whether we think about this season when it comes to our health, or even just this last week. This last week was rough. Some of us were reminded on how spoiled we are with electricity. I've been surprised at how many people, and I'm not picking on Mo this morning, but, but I've been surprised at how many people said that they got their generator hooked up and one of the main things they hooked up was their TV. <laughs> because we get so spoiled on what do we do with our time. And it's one of those things that I don't know about you, but, but this last week has just been difficult. Is, is, is to the point that good news was I have electricity. This morning here in the Word of God, what I want you to see with me is Paul says, you know, it goes beyond all of that stuff. And so, church, as we are going to grow together, and brother or sister, as we are going to grow in our Christian faith, we need to understand that there are some things spiritually that God gives us concerning the bad news and concerning the good news. And so when we think about what we're going to do on Tuesday, when we think about what we're going to say on Wednesday, when we think about what we're going to say during this week, we don't have to be uh, stuck in the mire. We don't have to be bogged down with thinking, well, oh, poor, pitiful me, woe is me, you know, agony, oh my, as they used to say on Hee Haw. We can look at people with a smile on our face and say, I've got some good news. I've got some good news to share with you. But in order to get to the good news, we have to get through the bad news. Ephesians chapter 2, Paul continues in this letter here, starting in verse 1, and he gives the reader, he gives the ch- he gives the listener first the bad news. And listen to what he says in verse 1. He says, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of man." Paul is first going to break the bad news. He is first going to tell the reader and the listener, you need to understand this first is the bad news. And the bad news is this. You are dead in your sin. You are dead in sin. You go back to the original language, that dead is the word necros. It's where we get uh, the necro there talking about what is dead. Paul comes in and says it's not just a matter that you're sick. It's not a matter that you are down. It's not a matter that you've got the blues. It's not a matter that you're depressed. It's not a matter that you just are a little indecisive or not knowing what to do. When you are lost and in sin, you are the same thing as being dead. He said you need to understand before you can be grateful about salvation, before you can be grateful about Jesus, before you can truly understand why the good news is good news, you need to understand who you are without Jesus. Sometimes we start looking for political figures to be our salvation and our salvation is not going to come through government. We start looking to some job and then we say, when we get this new job and we get this promotion and we make a little bit more money, boy, life will get better. Just a little bit more money and money's not the answer. You 
You think, boy, if I could just get a little electricity, when I get a little electricity, my life will improve. Your life will be the same as it was last week. Electricity is not the answer. The answer that we need, the answer for this world is Jesus Christ. And so Paul comes in and he wants to remind the reader, he wants to remind us that every single person in the world around us, if they are lost and apart from Christ, are dead in their sin. And yet we have a world today that thinks they are the answer. So Paul talks about it here in verse 1, verse 2, verse 3. He goes on and he talks about the idea of this world. He says in verse 2, In which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air. Mo was talking this morning in Sunday school about that being the spirit of Satan, the spirit of disobedience, rebellion. All those things come from the world. The world is fallen and corrupt. Paul says. And he, he reminds us that when you and I think that we are going to follow this world The world is not going to lead us to Jesus. The world is not going to lead us to Christ. I don't know what the percentage would be, but I would suspect that there's some of us in this room that think if the elephant wins on Tuesday, our life will get better. Some of us in this room go, oh no, it won't. But there's also some of us in this room that think if the donkey wins on Tuesday, our life will get better. And some of us say, oh no, it won't. Whatever happens on Tuesday, brothers and sisters, when you know that your salvation is secure in Christ, it doesn't matter. You want to know why we see such craziness and such anarchy? You want to see, you want to understand why we see such unrest and such division? You want to know why we have such a divide in this country right now against people and against ideologies and against philosophies? It's because this world is fallen and corrupt. And Paul goes on and he explains there in verse 4 that they are carried out by the desires of the body and the mind and were by nature children of wrath. He reminds us that mankind, all of humanity is driven by the flesh. You want to wonder? You want to think? You want to understand why do we have so much chaos around us? It's because this world is being driven by the flesh. This world is being controlled in part by Satan. And you wonder why we have such problems in our country today. It's because people, fallen people, corrupt people are driven by the flesh. They are dead in their sin and they're lost in the eyes of God. And we wonder why we don't seem to have any answers. That's bad news. No, that's good news. Well, that's good news. No, that's bad news. Paul wants to remind us this morning that without God and without Jesus we're doomed you know sometimes we start thinking in ourselves well I can handle this problem Ezra's right now in this age coming up on three years old and he's right here in this age that he thinks he can do it well let me help you no I can do it well let me let me, let me give you assistance no I can do it He thinks everything that he can do by himself. And I am sitting there looking at this two-year-old boy going, Son, you can't do anything. 
There is nothing that you can do by yourself. I mean, you might be able to stand up. You might be able to sit down. You might be able to get on the floor and throw a fit. But there's really not a lot apart from that that you can do to take care of yourselves. And yet in our Christianity, in our Christian life, we start to think, I don't need God. I don't need Jesus. You all just get out of my way. Let me do what I know that I need to do. And I will take care of myself. And Paul wants to grab a hold of our mind. And he wants to grab a hold of our hearts and to say, apart from God and apart from Jesus, you are nothing. Sometimes, sometimes songs like what we've been singing this morning don't have their full effect because we haven't fully embraced who we are apart from God. Singing about salvation really doesn't have any effect. It really doesn't have any emphasis in our hearts and our lives because you and I just really haven't been excited about our salvation. Mo was talking this morning about getting on our faces in prayer and getting on our faces in submission before God. And because you and I can be so cavalier in this life, we just don't really get that excited for what God has done for us. So Paul comes in in these first three verses he's, and he's, he's trying to explain to us this is our condition. This is who we are apart from God. And so when we look around this world and this world is in chaos and this news outlet is saying this and this news outlet is saying this and this Facebook group is saying this and this Facebook group is saying that and we're wondering, well, who has something positive to say? I'm going to tell you, as long as they keep talking about themselves, they're never going to have anything positive to say. So then he comes into this good news. And this good news to me gets exciting. And, and some of you look like you had uh, time forward instead of time back. Because some of you are looking at me like, I think I need three or four more hours of sleep. You already got an extra hour. Some of y'all just need to be like, well, you know, let's have some good news, Spence. This week is not looking too great. So he comes in with this good news here starting in verse 4. And listen to the good news. But God... We could stop right there and just say we don't need to know anything else because as long as we know that God is in control, as long as we know that God is on the throne, as long as that we know that God is for us and working in our lives, that is all that we need to know. But Paul goes on and he says, But God, being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. I read that entire passage right there because here in my translation that is all one sentence. It's like it's one thought that Paul is trying to convey. The first thing that Paul wants you to know when it comes to the good news is that God loves you. That God loves you. You. Sometimes we say in church so often and sometimes we've heard it for so long that we just kind of think, yes, yeah, Spence, I know God loves me. Oh, that's fine. Do you not understand what that means? That when you were dead in your sin, when you were in complete rebellion before God, when you were living the kind of life that cost His Son His life, when you were living the kind of attitudes and the kind of behaviors that looked and knew that you'd been created, knew that you'd been blessed, knew that God is giving his grace and his mercy upon your life, and yet you looked at God and said, I don't want you, God. Get away from me, God. And even in the midst of that, God still loved you. 
I've been a father long enough. I've had those moments with those children. And they look at you and say, we're not buddies anymore. You know, the first couple of times it kind of stings. You're like, no, I want to be buddies. And then after that, you're like, no, I don't want to be your buddy either. <laughs> I mean, you act like that. You talk like that. You, you're, you're behaving like that. I don't. <laughs> but they say that because they're trying to hurt you. They say that because they're trying to get a dig at you. They're trying to say that to try to get and make an impact on you. But you know what? It doesn't matter whether we're buddies or not. I still love them. Because it doesn't matter what they do. It doesn't matter where they go. It doesn't matter what they say. It doesn't matter. I still love them because I am their father. And there are people in this world today that they are trying to see how far away they can get from God. They're trying to see how far they can run from God. They're trying to see how many sins they can pile on themselves like blankets on a cold night trying to hide themselves from the love of God. And Paul it starts there in verse 4. He comes all the way down through verse 7 and he gives us this one thought about God's love for us. And he describes it in two primary ways. I want you to see there with me. He says in verse 4, But God being rich in mercy. Now you go back and you look at that word rich and what that word means. Now I understand that we have a certain definition in our English language, but it harkens back in the original language there to like in the, in the Old Testament where you had Abraham or you had Lot and these men had great wealth and great abundance. And it's saying that when he's talking about being rich in mercy, it's not just saying that he is benevolent with mercy. Remember when we talked about having buckets and buckets of grace? It's saying that God has warehouses and warehouses, ships and ships, tankers and tankers, silos and silos, buildings and buildings. He has so much mercy that you can't even fathom the entire width, the breadth, the depth of His mercy. God is rich in mercy and grace, which means that when you come to yourself and you realize that I have sinned, that I have sinned against God, that I, my sin has caused a division between me and God and I need to be saved, it means that God is always there with mercy and grace ready to give it to you. No matter what you've done, no matter how far you've gotten, no matter how far you've tried to run, no matter how many things that you have thinking to yourself, he couldn't forgive me for that. He couldn't look past that. He couldn't do anything about that. Paul says, do you not understand God's love for you? He gives us a, another type of key word right there back down in verse 7. And it says, and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places so that in the coming ages he might show us the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. Paul is reminding us that God is not only rich in mercy and grace, but God is great in love and kindness. And that greatness refers to he has so much of it. He has so much uh, abundance of love and kindness. You can never exhaust his love and kindness. So many times we think, well, I know that God loves me. No, you don't. You don't understand how much God loves you. I don't understand how much God loves me. Why do you say that, Spence? Because I'm continually being hard-headed and knuckle-headed. There's continual times that I'm trying to do it on my own. Or there's even times that I get mad at God and say, God, could I not just have a little bit of a break? I start getting an attitude with God. I start questioning God. I start doubting God. And even worse, I start rebelling against God. 
The one God that created me, the one God that saved me, the one God that has shown unmeasurable riches and love and kindness upon my life. And that is the God that I turn against. That is the God that I buffet against. That is the God I rebel against. And so Paul wants to remind the reader, you know what? You and I think that we have that we have the solution based upon the world, that it's all about our works, it's all about our merits, it's all about, about the things that we do, it's all about the steps that we take. And he says, do you not understand that there's nothing you can do in your state of deadness to earn salvation. And the only reason why we have any hope in this world today is because of the love of God for us. But then he goes on. He gives us a second piece of good news. And that is that salvation is not your doing. That salvation is not your doing. Now these verses get so cool to me. Some of you have memorized these. Some of these verses are very familiar with you. But these verses should never just pass over us. And we go, hum, ha, okay, no big deal. Because think about what he's saying. He says, for for by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It's a gift of God. Not a result of works so that no one may boast. He reminds the reader that salvation is not your doing. It's not that we went up this morning and said, well, I need a little salvation. And we drove to the donut store and we've got a kolache and a cup of salvation. And it wasn't like we opened up our Sears catalog and we made our order. That's been a long time ago. But we made our order. We mailed it in and we said, I need a, a, let's say two yards of salvation. You don't go to Sonic and see it on the menu. Amazon does not sell salvation. The only place that you get salvation is from God. And how does that come? How does he say it comes there in verse 8? He says, for by grace you have been saved. In other words, grace enables faith. How is it that we are saved? Is there an element of us making the decision and coming to Christ? Yes. But remember, you are dead in your sin. You are dead. There is nothing in you. It's only God drawing you, God showing you, God revealing himself to you that you even know that you need to be saved. And yet in our times today, we start trying to take credit. I get so tickled sometimes. When a political figure, president, governor, congressman, I don't care who they are, they get up and they start talking about economic growth. Ha! Well, under my administration, the government has grown or the the economic, the GDP has grown. And I'm thinking, where'd that come from? It came from people going to work. It came from people spending money. It came from the common person. And yet you have this figurehead. You have this person that tries to take credit for what the working person did. And I think so many times in our life today, we want to try to take credit. We want to try to take credit where God says there is no credit due. And so Paul wants to remind us that only God loves you, but that the salvation is not your doing. He even says that in verse 9. It's not a result of works so that no one may boast. He reminds us that grace enables faith and faith comes, saves us by believing. So this idea that how we get saved, it's not because I filled out a card. It's not because I walked an aisle. It's not because I got wet. It's not because I went to Sunday school. It's not because I joined a church. I'm saved because I believed in the gospel message. By faith, I believe that God sent his son, Jesus Christ, to take the place for my sin. I believe by faith that Jesus stood in my place, took on the penalty of my sin, 
buried in the tomb, rose on the third day, defeated death, right now sitting at the right hand of the Father, making intercession for me, so that if I call out in faith, in repentance and confession before God, I might be forgiven of my sins and therefore be found righteous in the eyes of God. Now what did I do there? I just simply believed by faith. But you know that Christianity is the only religion that does that? If you're going to be Islamic, you're going to have to do works. If you're going to be one of the occults, the Jehovah's Witness, the Mormons, you're going to have to do works. Christianity is the only religion that teaches that salvation is a gift of God. Not something that you can work for, not something that you earn, but something that you do by faith. And I believe this morning, church, that is great news that we should be sharing with people. That salvation is possible not because of the hoops they jump through, not because of how they dress, not because of how they look, not because of how they speak, but because of the condition of their heart. Oh, we have so many things today where people are being blocked or people are being liked or people are being followed because of what they look like or how they prepare themselves or how they dress. We had the family visitation this last Thursday night. We had it here at the church because we had electricity if your home did it. And I came straight from work and I come in. And if you've ever seen me when I come, on, come back in from work, I've got overalls on. I don't wear a suit and tie. I've got overalls on. I've got a little bit of work on me. I've got a hooded sweatshirt on. I walk in and they look at me like... Who are you? In fact, one of, the, one of the ladies. One of the ladies. I come in and I sit down and she looks at me. And I, I was having a conversation with some of the family. And she looks at me and she says, well, well are you on staff here? <laughs> well, yes, ma'am, I am. And I can see the look in her face. <laughs> and she's thinking, custodian, maybe. <clears throat> Maintenance person, eh, Maybe bus driver yeah. I can see her head trying to think and she says well what position are you I said well ma'am they let me pastor here <laughs> and she says oh I'm so sorry I said I'm not <laughs> I mean there she thought she was being insulting to me and I said no How, what a blessing it is that you don't walk around with this air with this attitude looks like and everybody looks and so well, that's got to be the preacher he's the only stuffy person in the room Praise God, praise God that people aren't being able to be assuming by my appearance. And I, and I think sometimes, I think sometimes we go around and we start judging people based upon their appearance. So that's a Christian, that's not a Christian. That's somebody worthy of Jesus, that's somebody that's not worthy about Jesus. That's somebody that God can love and that's not somebody that God can love. Sometimes we start having these judgment appearances and, and Paul wants to remind us that you don't understand. God loves you whether you're tall or short. Whether you're skinny or overweight. God loves you whether you love him or not. And, and God is going to love you yesterday. He's going to love you today. And he's going to love you tomorrow. Not because you've asked him to. Not because you deserve for him to. Not because he, you, he, someone else has asked on your behalf. He's going to do that because God loves you. Because that's who God is. And that's something that we can share with people. In this world where we have all this fickleness and in this world where we have all these people that they, their, their attention and their devotion and their commitment is based upon what they get in return and yet we have a Savior, we have a God that loves us and saves us not because of us but because of Him. 
So then what does that do? Well, he goes on there in verse 10. And this is the third piece of good news that I want you to grasp this morning. That because God loves you, and because your salvation is not your own doing, then your life is worth living. That your life is worth living. I've heard statistical numbers, of anecdotal numbers, if you will, that talk about during this time of pandemic, during this COVID time, suicide has gone up. Suicide has gone up amongst the younger generations especially. But there has been a marked increase, a marked rise of individuals that are sitting at home isolated that become in a state of depression. They come in a state of sadness. They come in a state of gloom and doom and they end up taking their own life because they didn't think they had anything worth living for. And I want you to see with me Here in verse 10, that when you are in Christ, you have everything to be living for. He says in verse 10, For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Paul wants to remind the Christian, he wants to remind the church that because we are no longer dead in our sin, but now we are alive in Christ because God loves us, because we have responded by salvation, we have responded and and, and turned to Christ, because we are now in Christ, we have a life worth living for. But notice how he frames it right here in this text. He says we are His workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand. In other words, he says you have been created with a purpose. You have been created with a purpose. You didn't sign up for this. You didn't go to trade school for this. You didn't get a a draft for this. This wasn't a lottery selection. When God created you, God created you for a purpose. Now, not every single person's purpose in this room is the same. Some of us have different gifts. Some of us have different leadings. Some of us have different opportunities. But every single one of you in this room have been created with a purpose. Yes, we know broadly speaking, 1 Corinthians 10, 31, whatever you, whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. We understand that every single one of us, we are now called to serve God, to, uh, to, to love other people. We understand there's some broad things, but do you understand more specifically, more on the personal level, you have a purpose in life. It is not just your vocation. It is your calling from God. Well, Spence, you mean... That it's not just a matter of showing up on Sunday. Oh, it's more than that. You mean it's not just coming on Sunday and Wednesday. Oh, it's more than that. You mean is it just coming on Sunday and Wednesday and then I'll even come and help at the fall festival last night. And boy, that'll be a biggie. And we're appreciative of that. But it's more than that. I'll send my friend a text and I'll ask him to come to church with me. What about that? It's more than that. It's that God has created you with a purpose. What is that purpose, Spence? Well, I submit to you this morning that he tells us that it's a purpose and it's a mission that he has prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. If nothing else, you can understand based upon the Word of God that you have been given a a message to share. 
You think, what is my purpose, Vince? I don't know what my purpose is. Vince, is my purpose is to teach Sunday school? Is it to help with the children? Is it to help up here in the platform during the worshiping? Is it to serve in ministry, uh, whether it's missions or whether it's pastoral ministry or, or deacon ministry? What is my purpose, Vince? I'm going to tell you at the core of all of Christianity is that we have been given a mission a, as, as a message to share. And it's good news. So we don't have to look at someone and say, I'm sorry to have to tell you this. We can look at somebody and say, can I tell you what Jesus has done for you? Can I tell you how much God loves you? Can I tell you why I can have a smile on my face? Can I tell you why I'm excited? Not because this election's coming up. I don't give a rip. And not, not because winners fastly approaching. I don't care. Not because my electricity has been restored. It's going to go out again. And not, not because I, I, I've got this accomplishment. I've got this promotion at work. Who cares? Eternity is in the balance. People are going to heaven and hell on a daily basis. People are dying and going off to an eternity. And we have too many Christians in this world today that aren't telling them the difference. Because we're not telling them the bad news of their sin and the good news of what God has done for them. So how do we measure our growth? Let me try to put a bow on this during our time together this morning. Paul wants to remind them of the bad news and the good news. It's not a matter of saying, well, it's just a matter of your interpretation, Spence, or a matter of what you think, Spence. No, Paul comes in and says, you need to understand that without Christ, you are headed to hell. And it's not Damnation, fire and brimstone. It's not spitting, not throwing a fit, not trying to scare anybody into making a decision. It's just a simple fact. When you die without Christ, you go to hell. I don't care what Rob Bell says. Because God has spoken. But that doesn't have to be your story. That doesn't have to be your story. That doesn't have to be any body that you know's story. Why? Because God loves us. And because God has made a way for us to be saved and by doing so he's giving us, he has given us a purpose and a mission for life. So how do we know individually or as a church, how do we know if we are growing in our walk with God? Well, I've given three questions right there at the bottom of your notes. Just three ways to try to ask ourselves to uh, kind of give us a place to uh, take stock in where we are at. The first, one, the first question is this. What news are we dwelling on? What news are we dwelling on? I am so tired of reading stories about the polls. I am so tired of reading stories about the polls. I am so tired of hearing stories about who's up, how many points, in what state. They don't know. They have no clue. In 2016, they were all wrong. And yet they come in and they say, well, now we know. They could be all weathermen. Who knows? (laughs) It's just 
one of those things. What news are we dwelling on? Are we dwelling on the latest, the worst? Are we dwelling on the gloomest? Are we, are we dwelling on the darkest? What news are we dwelling on? Are we dwelling on the idea that I'm saved, that I've been forgiven, that my eternity is secured, and that I'm going to heaven because of who I am in Christ? Am I dwelling on that, or am I only dwelling on me? What's wrong, what I don't like? What's negative? What so-and-so said to me, you realize that someone gave me that face. They cut me off in traffic. What news are we sharing? What news are we sharing? We're in the social media age where you can like and you can share and you can repost and you can re-tag and you can do this and we're always commenting and we're always connecting with people and we're always trying to say, hey, pay attention to this. What news are we sharing? Somebody says, well, how is your day going? Great. How is your week going? Wonderful. You got any new things to share with us today? I sure do. God loves you. What kind of news do we have to share? What news are we sharing? And then finally this last one. What news are we trusting in? Are you trusting in this political news that thinks that whenever this all comes about, everything is going to get better? Are you in this idea or in this cycle where you start to think, well, if just this policy be enacted, then things would get better? Paul wants to remind us here in this passage that the only thing worth trusting in is the knowledge that God has created you for a purpose. That one day you will die and you will stand before God. Most said it this morning that there is going to come a judgment for every single person. Either it will be Revelation 20 and you'll be before the great white throne judgment. Or it will be 2 Corinthians 5 and you'll be before the beam of sea. But every single one of us are going to stand and give an account to God one day for how we lived this life today. And some of us are so busy trusting in our abilities, trusting in our personalities, trusting in our possessions, trusting in the things that we think to be true or the things that someone else has told us to be true. So many of us are trusting in everything else and not trusting in the sufficiency of Christ for our salvation. The sufficiency of Christ for our faithfulness. The sufficiency of Christ for our lives that we're living today. So, what news are you living for? Are you living for the good news that Jesus saves? Or are you living for the fake news that this world will save? Bow your heads with me.